All right, well, <clears throat> the last time I spoke to you guys, I talked to you about a little bit in First John. I, I think it was the last time. Um, chapter 2, where he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. And then he goes through fathers, young men, and then he comes back to little children. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. <clears throat> and then he repeats it a second time with the fathers and the young men. This knowing the Father um, that he speaks of with the little children is really something that is, I think it's the starting point of all of our experience in Christian life. It's something that's so foundational to our ability to even progress in holiness. Um, we need to learn this love of the Father this relationship with the Father. Um, we have a tendency, sometimes I think, in Christian thought, to think that things like this are elemental or trivial, and that we get them and then we move on. But, like I said, this is foundational, and it is something that really all of our life is built on the truth, that God is our Father, and that our relationship with Him is one of love. Um, it's very personal. Um, it's not just that he's a creator, that he's a lord, that he's a master. He's, he is those things to every man who lives, whether they want to own it or not. He is that. But he is not father in the sense that I'm speaking of, except to those who believe. And so it's important that we get a hold of this. And I just I wanted to talk to you just a little bit tonight about this. The temptation is always to fall into one of two pits on either side, and that is a reckless abandon um, into presumption on the one hand, or a legal bondage on the other. Uh, both, I think, stem from the self-same thing. The person that falls into either of these things does not know God as Father, or at least is not walking in that relationship while they're struggling in those things. And so tonight I want to turn to the parable of the prodigal son. Um, and this is a, a mammoth passage, but I, I just want to highlight a few things in it. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11, if you want to turn there. It's Luke 15. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. 
And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. These two sons, though they seem very different at first glance, both are very much the same. And if you look at the setting, both are, the, both are sons, but they both feel like servants. The prodigal said in verse 12, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. In his mind, it was his by right. It was as if he was saying, I hate you and your house so much that I would rather you were dead. But since you are not going to do that for me, die, give me what you owe me and I will leave. It was like a hired hand saying, I hate my job. Give me my last paycheck and I'm gone. And so it was a relationship, not of a father and a son but almost of a contractual agreement. You must give me this, and I'm just going to go. It was, a, it was a bold move on his part, but it was not one of a loving relationship. Later, he says, I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So even then, all that he hoped for was servanthood. The elder son says, and he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. He was serving and did not think he was getting paid enough. So he was not only a servant, but an underpaid one at that. But if you notice in verse 12, and then again in verse 31, that he already had the father, he already had all that the father could give him. There was nothing more. It says that he, the father, divided unto them, plural, the sons, the possessions. But he did not just take half and give it to the prodigal and send him on his way. He gave the other half 
to the son of the state. Uh, he did not need to do that, but he did. And notice here at the end that the father reminds him, you have all. We'll come back to that in a minute. But it's important. He had all. The thrust of this story really is the revelation of the father's love for both of his sons. Neither one could see who their father really was. And I can just imagine the conversations that must have gone between them. Now, obviously, it's a parable, so I'm, I'm adding things here that maybe I, I don't have liberty to do. But, if, if, you know, one of them saying, why do we always have to work? You know, the prodigal. Why does the father have so many rules? And you can just imagine the elder brother saying, just abide by them. It's what the father expects. You just better get used to it. Right? I mean, it's just that kind of an attitude. Why is the father so controlling? Why can't he not just let me do what I want, says the prodigal? Be quiet and help me. I don't want to be the only one working. If I have to do this, so do you, says the elder brother. This life is so restrictive. I'm leaving. Father just doesn't understand me, and I have a life to live. This place is stifling. Good riddance. You never really helped me anyway, and I've been doing all the work. I've been keeping the rules. And then, as the father divides up all he has, you can almost hear the, the elder brother saying, hey, hey, wait a minute. Half? You're giving him half? I don't know if they said anything like this. Obviously, it's just a parable. But I think we can say with certainty that neither of them knew the love that their father had for them. They were not walking in his love. So the prodigal goes off to the far country and lives the riotous life, and never for a moment is thinking of the father that was sitting, waiting, and watching for him. The father's heart was aching for that son. When you see him coming, he says he saw him afar off. He was watching for him. And not only was he watching, but he ran to him. So then the son, who's in the far country, comes to himself. He comes to see himself for what he was. What he had been all along, but now could clearly see in the pigsty. A miserable wretch that deserved worse than he was getting. But notice the amazing change that comes over his mind in regards to his father. Now instead of give me what I deserve as an heir, it is, my father is rich, so I will go back to him. Why? Because he's good to his servants. Luke 15, 17 says, go back to verse 17, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. Verse 19. He says, I'll, I'll ask him to make me one of his hired servants. He did not only have it to give the father, but he gave it, and he gave it in abundance. The servants had more than they needed. He didn't just pay them what he owed them. He lavished on them. And so this son is seeing something of his father that maybe he didn't see before. The light of the love of his father has now begun to dawn upon his mind. And his first impulse is toward his father. It is amazing how the love of God will draw a man. He believed he would be forgiven at this point. He was going to go back to him. But not so much, he didn't dare as to think so much that he would be anything more than a servant. But look how the father loves him. He runs to meet him. 
falls on his neck, and he kisses him. And before he can finish his, refer his rehearsed speech that he's going to give to his father, he starts to lavish gifts upon him. All he can get out of his mouth is, I'm not worthy to be your son. And the next line would have been, now make me one of your hired servants. And he doesn't get there. He never finishes that thought because already the father is weeping, hugging him, kissing him, putting his ring upon him. He gives him a robe. He gives him shoes. He gives him a ring. And he kills the fat calf. A robe. What but the perfect righteousness of Christ. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel or the establishment, the firm foundation of the gospel. A ring. He was once again received and not a servant, but a son. Never would he look at that ring again and think a hard thought about this father. Food like never before. And why do I say like never before? Because the elder son said what? This has never happened before. This has never happened before. I have meat to eat that ye know not of, Christ said. Feasting, gladness, deep joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And here's the connecting thought. The elder son says, Yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. And truly they never had a feast like this before. But it was not the father's fault that they had not. Here we see the way in which both sons needed to be instructed in the father's love. The prodigal has the ring, the robe, the shoes, and the feast. He now sees the father in a completely different light than where we started. But what are the seconds? He's outside and won't come in. Why? Envy. Why does that son get in? He was still looking at his standing as one of work and not of grace. The father graciously brings this son to see as well that he is mistaken in his view of things. It is not that the father will not give him what he has earned, but that the father already gave him all that he had. It's just it's it's a thought beyond comprehension. I mean, this is a father who has already given him everything. He didn't own anything, in the sense that there was nothing that he owned that this son didn't already have. The prodigal, he had split it. Here's the two parts. And so this son is saying, "You never gave me." He said, "No, I've given you everything." He's trying to earn favor. His trying to earn his favor was an insult to the love of the father. And perhaps even a bigger insult than that of the prodigal. So how does this apply to us? I think every one of us fits into this story somewhere. There are five characters that I see here. And they're not five different characters, but five different time periods, I suppose, in the two characters. The first is the prodigal who's still at home. And I would just ask, are you grading against the Heavenly Father's laws? Do you long to go your own way? If you do, if you're that prodigal and you're still at home, you haven't left yet, beware. If you go, you are not promised that you will come to yourself. This is a parable. Uh, but the sad reality is that 
many do not. Proverbs tells us that there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death. And again, the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps take hold on hell. Know this, if you are one of those who are a prodigal still at home, if you are successful in casting away his cords from you, you are casting away the cords of love. You are throwing away eternal life. The second one is the prodigal in riotous living. No one here is openly in this place, but perhaps we may find ourselves there at times in secret. Perhaps one here is not what they appear to be. John tells us plainly, if you say that you know him and do not keep his commandments, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. And again, I would say, beware, for the scripture tells us the end of this one is the fires that are never quenched unless he comes to himself and returns to the Father. If you are in the far country tonight, please realize before it is too late that the trinkets and baubles that you are chasing will fade away. But there is an everlasting kingdom, a ring, shoes, a robe, and a feast, if you will but return to your father. Third one is the prodigal, sensing that the father is kind, but still not walking in sonship. There are many who languish here, and they understand that their sins are forgiven, but they still struggle to truly call God Father. And these are those that I am the most concerned with. I'm not going to comment much, but I do hope um, that if you're one of them, that you've seen all of this a little more, and in this you've seen a love of the Father a little better. Look at your counterpart in the prodigal. The shoes, the robe, the ring, even the feast were all gifts, graciously given. It was not his doing that procured the love of the Father for him. Can you not see the servants lying the robe over his shoulders, the sandals being wrapped about his ankles, and all without his help? The Father reaching down and lifting up his hand and placing the ring there. The feast prepared for him, and him seated at the right hand of his Father. This is the lot of everyone born from above. No matter how prodigal your life has been, the Father still runs to meet you. How his heart must have thrilled at all of this. Just think. You come from the far country, and here he was, seated, with his Father, with the best robe, with sandals on his feet, with a ring on his finger, rejoicing. And that leads us to the last of the prodigal the prodigal in full recognition of a restored sonship, feasting with the Father. If this is your lot, happy are you. You're not really John's little child anymore. And you're maybe a young man or a father. The peace that passes all understanding and the joy unspeakable and full of glory are at this prodigal's feast. If you are there you are beholding what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Can you not hear the prodigal exclaim with Paul in 
the eighth of the Romans, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And finally, there's one more. The elder brother. He had all that the father had to offer, but was unhappy and exacting service. He was ungrateful, proud, judgmental, and unable to recognize the grace and the love his father had given him, even as it was paraded around right in front of him. He was critical and judgment, judgmental of his brother's enjoyment of the father's love, but was unwilling to enter it himself. Now I want to ask the elder brother, can you not look at your brother rejoicing in the Father and rejoice with him? Why are you so quick to point out the speck in his eye? Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time by commandment, and yet thou never gavest me. Awful words. Awful words. Of bitterness and pride. Oh, elder brother, why do you do what you do? Why do you care if others do not help you? Why do you care if they are rewarded in spite of their not doing as you think they should? Is this not a legal spirit? Are you not in danger every minute? Why do you not go in? Please, if you do not know the joy of your salvation, if you are walking in a critical spirit toward others, if your service is driven by fear, and not drawn out of you in love, ask yourself, is it because I'm still standing outside? We are never told if the elder brother ever came inside. I hope that he did. But I'm doubtful. For his is truly the hardest case of all. Having all, and yet still looking for something more. What more could the Father give this one? He had already given him his son. Mm -hmm.